Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So here, because it's still daylight, we're on the ninth day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar. Um, now, if you look that up, some will say, well, it's actually the first month, and that's because later than the Pentateuch, they started the tradition of Rosh Hashanah. And they treat Rosh Hashanah like the Jewish New Year, so they treat this month like the first month. But in the Pentateuch, back when it all started, this was the seventh month. <clears throat> the reason that's significant, and just... You'll have to bear with me because uh, one, of, one of my favorite classes way back in 1979, I was in Alaska at a Bible school, and they were really into the Feast of Israel. And I, I actually really enjoyed that. They did a whole class of it. I'm not going to give you the whole class of the Feast of Israel. But actually in Jerusalem right now, because it's already sunset, again, with Jews, uh, God set it up that a day actually starts sunset to sunset. So what they, would have, what they would have started, the ones that are following us for the Day of Atonement, for them it actually starts, they actually started at sunset while the sun is still setting. And the reason why I say that is because what they go on is what's called a 25-hour fast. They do a full fast on the Day of Atonement, and it's actually 25 hours because they go from before the sun fully set till almost an hour after the sun fully sets tomorrow. That's, that's the 10th day of the seventh month. And so in Jerusalem, because they're later, they, they're already into the 10th day of the 7th month. And um, the name Tishrei actually came later. Um, you know, when you read this stuff in Scripture, because I'm going to recommend at least one chapter of Leviticus that you read for your own benefit. Because um, <clears throat> God didn't really care that much about the names. He, he just gave them the numbers. The names came later. And uh, in in the Pentateuch, Nisan's actually the first month instead of this month. Uh, and this is the seventh month. They did a full fast from food and water. Like they would even abstain. This, this is a solemn. This is the most solemn feast. It's also a very precious feast. Because the Day of the Atonement is the only day that anyone can go into the highest holy place, the most holy place. And only the high priest could do it. Um, but I also wanted to touch on this. Um, Back a few days, well, nine days, was the first of the month of, of the seventh. So the first day of the seventh month is the Feast of Trumpets. They blow the shofar. There's all these trumpets going on. And, and it is the festival of the great ingathering people talk about. And there's some nice type and shadow there. But what was really important to God in the Pentateuch was these trumpets are to call attention and make you aware of presence. Make you aware of the solemn, the solemn feast coming up. It's the first, like, we're like, hey, the Day of Atonement's coming up. And there's a tradition that they, they started, and you won't, you won't find 10 days of awe in Scripture, but it's the way they practiced it, is from when they blow the trumpets on the first day of the seventh month through the Day of Atonement, or called it the 10 days of awe. It was a time when they were not to get caught up in the distractions of this world and really focus on their walk with the Lord. It was a more solemn feast. It was the idea of having thoughtfulness with Elohim. I talked about it before. Elohim is the name of God. It's the only name of God used in Genesis 1. 
and it's used 32 times in 31 verses because it's the great God creator, the great God provider. And so it's, it's, a very, it's a very powerful time of year. And we don't, we don't celebrate it like that anymore. We'll get to that. Um, I'm not going to go through all of it, but if you want a real good summary of all the feasts of Israel, that's Leviticus 23. Because it gives a full, a full summary of the Sabbaths. And I say Sabbaths plural because there's the Sabbath, which is the seventh day of every week. That's a day where God really uses this line of saying, don't do regular work. Because every week he wants you to take a full day of rest. We talked about, I heard people have rest today. God gave the gift of rest. And he knew that we can be so obstinate, he actually had to command it. He had to command us to rest and do what's healthy for us. <clears throat> and the idea is no regular routine. Get away from the busy. Get away from the noise of everyday life to remember why you're here. Remember why you even go to work. And all these Sabbaths that talks about it gives you Passover. They're all, they're all, the key ones are all in that chapter. Um, but it's, they have times of remembrance, a lot of celebration, a lot of meditation, like later. And it comes after the Day of Atonement for a reason. The Feast of Booze is coming off, which is a really amazing celebration time for eight days. But there's also meditation, reflection, and repentance and renewal. And the Day of Atonement is the biggest day of repentance and renewal. And these 10 days of awe, it's a joy because our God is connected to us and forgives. But it is solemn. It's like, really think about what he's done for you. It's also a time for them to reflect on their past year of, you know, like they, some of the tradition is they even think of, well, what humans have I wronged? Who, I, who do I need to go and make things right with? It, it was a time of renewal. But to be renewed, you often have to say, oh, I also have to see where things are in error and we need to correct them. Okay, makes sense? Good. <clears throat> so Leviticus 16, I'm not going to read all that because I really want to get to Hebrews. But the Day of Atonement details are mostly there. It's not, I mean, it's actually referred to way back in Exodus, the other feasts, including Day of Atonement. But this is the only time the high priest, uh, when you read it, refer to Aaron. That's because Aaron was the first high priest. Uh, but it's the only time he enters the most holy place. Actually, what, what happens is, <clears throat> uh, and these aren't the only things that get sacrificed in, in the whole way Israel. Israel, the Old Covenant's really a bloody mess. And I'm not cussing like the British. I mean, it's literally a bloody mess. There's a lot of blood in it. But the, the four big things are um, a, a bull, a ram, and it has to be a bull without blemish, a ram without blemish, and two goats without, two male goats without blemish. They're the, they're the key ones in the Day of Atonement. And what has to happen is the bull is just for Aaron and his household, the high priest in their household. Hebrews will point this out later. One way Jesus is superior is Jesus is perfect. And he's the perfect sacrifice and is a perfect high priest. He doesn't have to make sacrifices for himself. So he can focus just on what needs to be done for his people, for us. But it wasn't that way with Aaron. So they had to, I mean, they had to do a certain bath. They had to wear certain clothes. He had to sacrifice the bull just for atonement for any sins in, of him and his household before he could do in there. I mean, go into the Holy of Holies. And then... Uh, there were two goats, and then they draw a lot, and one goat that gets one lot is the one that gets sacrificed. The other goat becomes the scapegoat. And so when they kill the one, when, when he's actually getting ready for the atonement for the people, the goat that's sacrificed, he has to take that blood 
and be in the Holy of Holies to put it on the horns of the altar. And it's a mess. He has to actually do things seven times over. And the, the whole point is, it's a psalm feast, but it's also an awesome feast. Because he is saying this covers the entire nation sense. And then the way to scapegoat, this is where we actually get when someone's like, we got to say, well, they're using that person just as the scapegoat. This is where that phrase comes from. Because what would happen is after all the bloody mess, he puts his hand on the goat that isn't sacrificed. He puts both hands on its head and confers or puts on that goat all the sins of the people. And then someone's designated to take it way out into the wilderness and let it go. And the idea was we're taking all the sin from the camp or all the sin from the nation and it's going out away from Saul. And it has to be repeated every year, along with a whole bunch of other sacrifices that go on through the year. So it's a mess and it's complicated and we don't have to celebrate it today. But there's some beauty in it. And we see this, the best place to see it is in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews refers to the Old Testament more than any other of any of the letters, any of the epistles. And there's more than this in these chapters, but this is the main highlights. In Hebrews 4 and 7, we get how Jesus is the supreme high priest. Although I will also say in Hebrews 4, we talked about rest today, and it talks about how there is a Sabbath rest, but we have actually entered an awesome rest that applies every day. And we actually enter a rest that's awesome right now, but will be even more awesome later. <clears throat> um, in Hebrews 8, it's about the covenant, the new and superior covenant. In the old covenant, the laws were written on tablets, had a problem with it. Um, and I, I know we mentioned this a lot, but it's, it's the whole prophecy in Jeremiah 31 is, yeah, we had a little problem with the old covenant. I said it's an eternal covenant, meaning if I keep my, this is God talking. If I keep my part, you keep your part, this will go on forever. Problem is they couldn't keep their part. And so he said, okay, the old covenant didn't work because I could keep my part. You couldn't keep yours. So I've got a new plan. I'm going to keep both parts. Because I'm going to keep my part, and then I'm going to write my law on your hearts and on your minds. And that's important, because it's going to come up later. It's dealing with your consciousness, your internal being. It's not just getting forgiveness of sins, actually in a change on the inside. I'm going to do this, and this covenant is eternal. Meaning, there is no time this one will ever end. The old covenant ended, this one never does. <clears throat> and then in Hebrews 9 and 10, it's about the superior atonement. This is the day of atonement but the real atonement's already taken place in the sphere of tabernacle. Okay, so I'm going to jump right to Hebrews 9. <clears throat> so Christ now has become the high priest over all good things that have come. He has entered that greater and more perfect tabernacle in heaven. A running theme in Hebrews is all the old law and all the temples and all the feasts of Israel that we studied back in 1979, they were just a type and shadow. And that's the way my teachers taught it to you. They weren't getting weird is it's interesting because it just symbolizes the reality. The reality is in heaven, and the reality is within us, and it is within Jesus. So it's a greater tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands, and is not part of created world. <clears throat> With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered, this meaning Jesus, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption. Uh, I picked this version because it, it renders the Greek most accurately. He's not, it doesn't mean that he entered it once and like he left. Like, oh, we don't have to repeat this because he went and took care of it. The idea is, no, he entered the most holy place and Jesus never left presence. Is He's there for once and we never have to repeat it because the most holy place is now open. 
Before it was, only a high priest got to go there once a year. It is now open for business to all of us. <clears throat> because the most holy, per the perfect sacrifice is now there forever. Under the old system, the blood and goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. But just think, or he didn't say that, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciousness or purify our minds. So it's going a step farther than the old covenant ever could. From sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God, for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Hebrew makes the point that even though these were like lambs, or sorry, uh, bulls and goats without blemish, it's still not a perfect sacrifice. Just like Aaron really wasn't a perfect priest. But we now have a perfect priest and a perfect sacrifice. That is why he is the one to mediate, who mediates a new covenant between God and his people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised. For Christ died to set free from the penalty of sins they had committed under the first, that first covenant. Okay, I'm jumping off to, there's more stuff, but I want to jump to Hebrews because you don't want to be here till noon. Um, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. Okay, so the old covenant was never met God, you know, as we, we talk about Hebrews 1, says he foreknew before the casting out of the cosmos that sin was going to come. And yet he foreknowing that decided it's worth it anyway to get my family. And he foreknew that he had to decide to see us blameless in Christ, knowing we weren't blameless on our own. But before he even created the world, he foresaw it was going to take the perfect sacrifice of his son for us to be blameless in his sight, for us to be with him forever. And he decided it was worth it. <clears throat> and so the law was always, God always knew, this is a shadow of my real plan. So it was a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the system were repeated again and again, year after year, because they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. So he's making a contrast there. So if they couldn't provide perfect cleansing, what does Jesus provide? Okay, this is when you respond, so we aren't here forever. Perfect cleansing. Perfect cleansing. So Jesus provides perfect cleansing. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, along with their consciences. Instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. The ten days of awe is also one of repentance. It's one of, oh, we're reminded of what we've done wrong. I want to make this clear. You don't have to go through ten days of repentance to be with Jesus. I know I share these stories a lot, but constantly, <clears throat> it still happens. I'm with people, and I ask them, why did you disengage? They'll skip a Bible study, or like I say, the guys in jail that don't come to Bible study. And usually it was because I slept again. Um, a lot of people I I've have had in groups, they have you know substance abuse addictions or things. So like fell off the wagon, whatever you want to call it. And they say, I felt like I needed like time to really show God I mean it this time. And it's like, no, you're misunderstanding. Because you hanging out in guilt for 10 days does not make you stronger. Um, won't go into all of it, but you know, Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is your strength, not your guilt and shame. It is he, the high priest, who cleanses us. So as immediately as you fall, the answer is you fell because you disconnected 
your attitude. You lost awareness of God and felt. The answer is not to stay unaware of him. The answer is, no, come be aware of him right now because your conscience is clear. And anything that tells you different is actually deceiving you. <clears throat> okay. For it is not possible for the bloods and bulls and goats to take away sins. So they couldn't take those sins. They could not remove them. They, they, they in a way, the sacrifice gave forgiveness of them, but did not take them. So that means Jesus actually does Take away sins. Thank you. <laughs> that is why when Christ came to the world, he said to our Father, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in your scriptures. First Christ said you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. This is a radical thing, and I'm sorry, I I forget the reference now. I should have written that up there. But it's amazing, right? In Scripture, it has this reference. You do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. You were not pleased with them, though they were required in the law of Moses. So he's saying, even back in the Old Testament, it's written, they required the law of Moses, but even God knew from the start, that is a temporary fix. That is a temporary, that is a shadow of what I'm really doing. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. Okay? I love Old Testament. I read it. There's inspiration. There's truth in there. But the old covenant, the Mosaic law, the way of doing those things, that is not what happens anymore. I mean, later in uh, Hebrews, it actually just says, it is obsolete. <clears throat> For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. So we have the superior priest, the superior covenant, the superior everything. So why do I bring up even the Day of Atonement? Because it's a reminder of really how awesome it is. I mean, I think of all the stuff we don't have to do. I also think of how anxious it was. Because after you read of the Day of Atonement... And after you read like Leviticus 23 and all those, you don't have to go very far in Leviticus and you find some people getting stoned. Okay? Because all the guy did is he got in a fight and he blasphemed God. Okay, that stories of that would make me pretty anxious. Uh, I'm reading a psychology book on attachment style by a really godly man who's showing the scripture about how we're in Jesus, we have a healthy attachment. But sometimes the way we're raised or our concepts of God makes our, our attachment feel insecure. It either feels anxious or it feels like we have to suppress ourselves. It gets weird. And some of our anxious attachment comes is we think we're still in the Old Testament. You know, like, well, it's really up to me to keep this. I got to keep this going. I mean, I got to walk with God. And man, I hope, am, am I clean enough? I got, I got to search and think, am I good enough for God? And it's like, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, Jesus, I know you're here right now. What do you want to say to me? Not, am I clean enough to be in your presence? I'm already in your presence. So help me not be distracted so I can hear what you're saying. Amen. Okay? <clears throat> so that's Hebrews 10.1. Because here's the point <clears throat> I want to get to in this. <clears throat> when you read about the Feast of Israel, and you read about the Passover, and it's amazing to read about the Passover, especially around Easter time. Uh, when you read about the Feast of Weeks, which is also Pentecost, um, <clears throat> trumpets, the ten days of awe, what can we take away from this? 
because Jesus has fulfilled them. What I to remember, though, is they lived in a simpler time, and yet God set aside a day a week. We're on sunset on Friday, what we call Friday, but to them it would be the Sabbath. They go to their homes, and they speak blessing to each other. They go to their homes and remind themselves of what God's done. Um, I know I've referred to it before, but it's one of my favorite parts in Fiddler on the Roof is where they show all the families doing the same blessing on their kids and on their blessing, blessing on the daughters and the sons. He had them regularly do that. He sets up all these other festivals where they have extended periods of time. You know, sometimes they'll have a whole week of don't do work. You know, which is so weird that he has to command us to not work. But anyway... And it's, it's like this act of faith to tell us what life's really about. If they had to have those kinds of days, we need those kinds of days. And we have actually a bigger benefit. Because the whole idea is now, the way we apply it is, it's saying, stop. You're busy. You're in your own mind. You're just doing your own things. You're working hard. Stop. Look. Pay attention with Jesus. This is also from Hebrews. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. So Jesus is perfect, and yet he can identify with our weakness. But one in whoever respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. The Holy of Holies is open. The very presence of God is with us. And even the writer of Hebrews, they realize God is always with us whether we feel it or not. When he's saying, let's enter, let's go boldly and enter, he's saying, let's be aware of it. Let's, let's take our minds and our thoughts, our emotions, all of us, and really even, even sometimes it helps to me they can symbolize picture entering past the curtain to the Holy of Holies that you were with Jesus. Take time away from the outside noise so we can be aware of the inside noise. Because I, I was thinking about this, <clears throat> and it's funny because you know sometimes you feel like God's hinting. Because <clears throat> I actually was thinking not to do the Day of Atonement, even though I was aware it was the month we were in. <clears throat> and yet, like 15 different things reminded me where people were talking about, we are way too busy in our culture. We even talked about last night, my, uh, my sister's, uh, sister, one of my sisters and brother-in-law are celebrating their 60th anniversary because, you know, they're old. Um, <laughs> and that's actually what I put in the card. So, um, <clears throat> we talked about how just with the phones, with media, we don't have time of pause. Um, I, one guy says is, we no longer have the gift of boredom. One guy put it is, you wait in line. It used to be if you had to wait in line to the bank or you had to wait in a doctor's office, you well, in the doctor's office, you could have 40 minutes of just quiet reflection in your own mind of just, and it's weird, but it is, it's a place of peace because you can engage your thoughts and let God speak to you. Instead, we pull out our phones and start doing stuff. And I, I actually have it written up there later, but I'll say it now. Psychologists and therapists and even researchers are saying this is one reason we have so many people in therapy, is we no longer pause our brains enough to process our inside noise. Because the outside noise is so loud, we aren't realizing, yeah, but what's driving your behavior, the reason you're snapping at people, or the reason you're depressed, 
is there are internal thoughts you have not processed. There are emotions you're not thinking out. And they're saying the reason why is we have no pause in the day that we are not engaged in something else. Our minds are so busy, it's killing us. <clears throat> I haven't looked up to see if it's true, but, and I'm not saying we have to get super legalistic or go be a Seventh-day Adventist, but one person pointed out the Seventh-day Adventists, and I, I still have to find the research, their average lifespan is about nine and a half to 10 years longer than everybody else's. And one guy pointed out, if you take those 10 years and think of them as Sabbath days, <clears throat> about the Sabbath days you would have in 70 years is 10 years worth. So for every Sabbath day they take, they get another year, day added on. And I just think it's interesting. I, I can't prove it yet, but I, it's powerful. But if nothing else, we have this. And, and I find this interesting. Jesus gave very few commands. He really did. I mean, and really the only command he gave was you love one another the way I love you, which is a pretty big command, actually. But he modeled stuff. In Luke 15, this was after they were really busy, they had everything going. I mean, Jesus, it's like the disciples are all excited, like this thing's ready to go viral. You know, Jesus, let's, let's get you on social media. Everybody's big. And Jesus basically says, no, no, we're going to go to the next town. And sorry, that's a different story. Anyway, to the point. Amidst all the busyness of people coming to be healed, Jesus often withdrew. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often took time alone with the Father. So there's our model. If Jesus, who is the perfect one in life, had to often take times of quiet away. Lonely places, I'm actually, some say he went to the desert, but the but that word for desert can mean a, a deserted place, meaning a place with very few people. It could also mean quiet place. So Jesus took time to go get away with people and have quiet. Mm -hmm. So if he needs it, I would think we need it. Yeah. And that's the part I already said is we're damaging ourselves with busy. The lack of quiet and solitude is actually why people having so many emotional problems in our culture. <clears throat> I think we could infer that on our own, but it's even what the research is showing. Because as we're going, why are there so many more therapists? Why are there so many people? Why do we have all these people like the big buzzword now is you've got to practice mindfulness. And they talk like it's some new thing and often they give it credit to Eastern religion or oh, Buddhism teaches us mindfulness. Now I always read it and go, no. Jesus did this 2,000 years ago and actually all through the Old Testament, constantly they are doing mindfulness, but they're doing it one better. Because they're not doing it with their own minds, they're doing it with God. Because the problem with the Eastern religions is they mimic, this I know that sounds critical, but this is life. Because I say this because I see a lot of people when I mention things like meditation, they're all fearful like, oh, but that might be New Age. Well, New Age makes counterfeits, doesn't make the real not real. The difference is they're leaving Jesus out of it. Is, yeah, I want to be mindful, but as, as Carl Lehman says, your mind's a dangerous place. Don't go in there alone. Never go into a memory without Jesus. And so this lack of this this lack of quiet. I mean, in some ways, I do wish we were almost we're celebrating the feast of Israel. So my concern with that is I do have friends that do that, but on top of their busy day, they will like put together like when it's time for Seder. They'll be really busy, and then they'll put together a Seder feast, and they'll they'll do the external. And the sad thing is the external actually made it worse. They missed the eternal, the internal. 
Because in all the feasts, it was always about calm. Like the reason they prepare food on Friday is so you don't have to cook Saturday because it's a gift of rest. Like Jesus said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. It is a gift. <clears throat> I actually got this idea from a, from a book, but I was thinking about it. He said it a different way. But I find it interesting. Jesus gets baptized in Matthew 3 and has the Father make an amazing declaration over him. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Then he's taken out, and where he's taken out, he's going to have a battle with the devil. He doesn't have the battle with the devil right away. It comes 40 days later. Because the Spirit drives him out, and again, it says to the desert, but it actually means just a deserted place. It doesn't mean he's going up on sand dunes like the Sahara. He goes away from people. And the devil comes along the 40th day. And he points out, and I, I agree with this author, is sometimes people say, isn't it like the devil to attack you when you're weakest, you know, when you're hungry and you're tired? They said, now I see it totally different. Jesus went into the quiet places to get strong. Yeah. So when the devil's attacking him in the spirit, Jesus is actually at his strength. Because he's now had 40 days with the Father. And you see, not only does he win that battle, because the battle attacks his identity, and he answers back with reference to Scripture about who he really is. And I think the, uh, the powerful thing is he comes back and does ministry right away. Like, uh, you can't tell that in other books. He's like, in some books, like in Mark, it just jumps right into ministry. He doesn't mention all the other stuff. But the idea is Jesus was prepared by solitude. Jesus practiced solitude and silence to prepare him for the battle with the enemy. <clears throat> so, um, we didn't pass up the papers, but this is, this is what I want to do. Because I felt like it is powerful to think of the Day of Atonement, to think of all that Jesus has done. I encourage you, Hebrews is a powerful book to read, even though he gets really bogged down. Sometimes he very much over-describes the old way. But you have to remember his audience. But to me, the takeaway is the time of remembrance and silence and solitude. And I'm not going to have us now like, okay, we're going to do solitude. Let's now talk about solitude. What I'm going to ask you to do, and that's what I'm going to ask God to do right now, is to speak to your heart. And I am strongly recommending this means like a fast, like they're doing like today, the, the Jews that are following Day of Atonement, they're starting a 25-hour fast. They actually do a fast of denial. It's actually called a fast of denial. So they, the ones that are really into it, they won't be using their phones, their TVs, anything. They won't even be bathing, which I know is another thing. In fact, there's always a debate, are you allowed to brush your teeth? Well, you can if you don't swallow the water, because you're supposed to not even drink water. But you're working. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to do that literal, but a time of fast. I'm going to ask the Spirit to speak to you and make out with you. And I didn't pass up the paper to like commit to a time where you are going to disengage from the noise and God can tell you what's going on inside you. And you can deal with the emotions and the thoughts. And not even a time limit. Yeah, it could be an hour, it could be 15 minutes. But I want you to experience this really set a time. And then ask Jesus as you're experiencing it, how can I make this regular? 
Okay, some of you know, like I have certain positive triggers. One of, one of my positive triggers is seeing water, like a bay or river. So every time I drive by the bay, which is a lot, it draw, draws me to quiet. I can't, it's like now it's so instilled in me, it's like an OCD habit. I can't drive by the bay when I'm alone in the car and not go quiet. But that's a good thing. Okay. So I'm asking Holy Spirit, right now we're just going to take a few minutes, Lord, and I'm going to ask you to speak to our hearts. And God, you whisper a day and a time when we can shut off phones, shut off outside influence, and hear from you. God, and hear from you the secret things you want to whisper to us. So I ask you right now, God, to give that day and time right now. It is a solemn feast for thinking and reflection. But I also say it's a pretty awesome thing because we actually now have had our consciences purged forever. And we have access to the Holy of Holies forever. Um, I mean, this is even amazing. We, read, we were singing the Todd Angie song about the amazing grace. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.